restoration, Jesus. You've come to restore our ruins, Lord. We thank you for the bricks that are on the screen right up there on the projector because you are a God who restores and rebuilds our lives. The people out there, the mess in the world, you rebuild those ruins, Lord Jesus. And we just want to thank you. We want to praise you for that, God. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, everybody said amen. Thank you, Lord. So good. Why don't you... um. Clap, clap off the worship team. You guys did a great job. Who, love, who loves it when Nev pre, uh, leads worship? So good. Nev and Sue was like, yes. They landed on the night that I was preaching. These are all Paul's preaching notes. Watch the deal here. Oh, there's mine. <laughs> I'm like, all right, well, I'll be preaching on redemption then because that's what Paul preached on last time. Um, are you good? Yeah. Did you have a good day? In the house of the Lord, Jesse, you had a good day? Yes, yeah, so good. It's so nice uh, to be in the house of God. I love, are you loving this new series? Yeah. We're, we're just over halfway through another brick in the wall. I love it so much because it's just all about how God is a God of restoration. It's so fun. Um, why don't you just oh, do some stretches? Sometimes we get a bit sore. I get a bit sore after worship. It's like, oh, my hands just extended so far to heaven. It's like, oh. Um, turn to the person next. You say, are you hungry? Are you hungry? So good. All right, stop chatting. I knew that would happen. I shouldn't have gone there. Just start talking. All right, so uh, tonight I want to ask us the question, are you hungry? Are you hungry? We, we tend to get hungry in life. You know, we uh, physically, we, we tend to... Um, require food on a fairly frequent basis. Would that be correct if I said that? Amen. Amen. I love to eat. And, uh, you know, it's not a once-in-a-lifetime sort of occurrence. We, we, get, we get hungry quite regularly. It's this interesting phenomenon called hunger. It's this compelling desire and need for food, to feel, you know, your stomach starts growling, you know, you, you see pizza on the TV or you see cronuts on someone's Instagram and you're like, oh, my mouth is feeling with more saliva than usual and that sort of thing. And so what I've noticed about humanity, this is a gift from me to you, this is what I have observed with humanity, is that we are fairly diligent and efficient at meeting this need for ourselves. Would you say that? It's, but particularly in the West, you know, we're very good at meeting this need. When we get hungry, we're quite diligent at, at, at getting full, aren't we? We're, like, we're never really too um, inconvenienced if we're hungry. It's never too inconvenient for us to get food. Would you say that's right? We're never too busy. We're never too inconvenienced. We're never too tired and exhausted to get food when we're hungry, right? I once walked, I once walked eight kilometres in like the burning 40 degree Western Australian sun with bare feet and like a heavy surfboard under my arm to get food. I'd surf for seven hours, okay, it was pumping. It did not even, like the waves I mean, it did not even like matter to me how good the waves were. It didn't matter how hot it was or how tired and exhausted I was. I was like there's chicken pasta in the fridge and I'm going to fill my stomach with it because I was starving. Okay, this is my point. We will do crazy things. We'll go to extreme lengths sometimes to fill this need of hunger. Do you agree? Yeah. Yes. We'll get uncomfortable. We'll get inconvenient. You know, in, particularly in the West, we, we don't let ourselves go that long without food. You, we don't really deprive ourselves of food for very long. That's why when we do the 21-day fast at the start of the year, we're like, holy. 
you know, like it's not super enjoyable for us because we like food, we like it frequently. Like I did the 40-hour famine when I was 16 years old and it nearly killed me. It was 40 hours and it was so, I remember I was lying on the pavement in front of my schoolmates and I was just like begging them to throw potato chips into my mouth because I was so, so hungry. And it's like, that's just 40 hours. Some of us can't even go without lunch. Okay. I'm painting a picture for you here because this is my point. Sometimes we forget that the way we are designed physically, right, we are designed physically to need food on a frequent, consistent basis. And the way we are designed physically is actually a reflection of how we are also designed spiritually. Does that make sense? Okay, so if you are hungry spiritually, that is actually a good thing. Thing because God has actually built internally inside of us, he has fashioned us to get spiritually hungry. He has built this thing inside of us that requires something spiritually. We need something spiritually. And the thing with God is he has made it so that he alone is the only one who can satisfy that need. And so in, in, in the West, this is one of my other observations, is that never before... Has there been such a famine in God's word? Because this is the thing. We can be quite, um, we won't let ourselves be starved physically. We won't starve out, we're not that willing to starve ourselves of physical food. But sometimes we're quite accepting, we're quite willing to starve ourselves of spiritual food. This is, this is a thing that I've noticed with myself. We're, quite, we're much more accepting to starve ourselves of God's word in our life. We don't think about it quite as much. There's never been such a famine of God's word before because the, did you know the Bible has never been so available in history in the West? It's never been this accessible ever in history. And there's never been such a biblical illiteracy in God's word among God's people even. It's shocking. But uh, we are living in a time where some of us are willing to starve ourselves of the word. And you know what happens when we starve ourselves of God's word in our life? We, we actually starve our spirit. We need God's word in our life. We starve our spirit. And do you know what happens when you starve your spirit? Is you get spiritually weak. And when we get spiritually weak, we become weak Christians. Okay, so we may be perfectly healthy on the outside, but sometimes we're, we're malnourished spiritually. Is that okay? All right, so God, God fashioned you to get hungry. Turn to your neighbor and say, you've got to get hungry got to get hungry. Stay alert, stay alive, stay happy. Amen. So as you know, we've been doing, that's good, whoever yelled out. I like that. I like it when you're noisy. Um, so we've been doing, as you know, as I mentioned, a, a series called um, Another Brick in the Wall, all about restoration. So it's all about how Jesus takes the ruins of our lives, of their lives, of the people over on the other side of the world, their lives, and he restores them. Whatever it is dead and dry and barren and broken and lost and just lying in rubble in the dust. God is a God who can come and he restores what is broken. He restores what is lost. He restores the rubble. And, you know, I'm extremely passionate about seeing the, the people out there, their lives get restored. But just tonight, just for tonight, I just want to bring it. And I just felt the Lord, I felt like the Lord prompted me to just bring it back to a slightly personal level tonight. Just just not us on a corporate level for a second or a commu- just us on an individual personal level because I truly believe that the key to restoration is won or lost in your devotional life. 
I believe that God has come to restore the ruins in our lives. And he talks about this in Isaiah 50. He said in Isaiah 58, sorry, he will restore us and then he will put a mandate on our lives to go and bring restoration to the world. He will restore our ruins. And the kingdom of restoration is administered internally. And I love that. So I really believe the key to restoration is in our devotional lives, as in us seeking the Lord Jesus, not on behalf of anyone else, not, not on only a community level, but us and Jesus behind closed doors, praying and seeking the Lord in his word, in the Bible, behind closed doors. Is that all right? Is that okay? Are you all right? Okay, so that's, that's where I want to sit tonight. So... Um, we're going to look at our devotional lives. Just on a seemingly unrelated topic, um, if you have been on Instagram lately, how many of us have Instagram? Jit for about three of you, not fair few of us. Okay, so if you have been on my Instagram, you would have seen um, this glorious thing that's made quite a frequent appearance on there. It's, don't even laugh, Jit, it's called the cronut. Who knows what a cronut is? Yes. Who doesn't? Okay, allow me to preach you the gospel of the cronut. Okay? Amen? Because some of you are blind and deceived. You need to know about the cronut. Okay? So let me explain it to you. There is a cafe in Brunswick called Park Street Pastor Bar. Paul and I love it. We go there on a daily basis. They make the best coffee and um, they actually asked me to film this when I told them I was preaching on cronuts at church tonight. They're like, can you film that? Um, the owners of the cafe. Anyway, so... They make these cronuts. Now, I'm going to explain to you what it is. It's like a, this incredible cross-pollination of like a croissant, you know what I'm talking about, and a donut, and it's, they deep fry it. Like they make it from scratch and they deep fry it tons every Thursday on Mother's, Mother's Group. We get them and they make their own, oh, they make their own recipes of like vanilla cream and homemade jam, salted caramel, chocolatey clear flavour. Oh, so good. Okay, Sam thinks he doesn't like them. Hallelujah, Jesus, we just pray for Sam right now because he's blind and he blasphemes and he's deceived and he hasn't actually tried them properly because if you try a cronut, your life will change. It is like it will bring joy and satisfaction to your soul. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. And so whenever they're available, like I get excited about cronuts, these heavenly manifestations, right? I'm like, it's never really too inconvenient for me to go and get a cronut. Like, I, I carve out time in my day. If I see on Park Street, past of us, Instagram, I'm like, ooh, they got sold to caramel today. I'm going to time this around Eden's nap. And then and Eden wakes up, I'm like, Eden, strap yourself into the pram. We're go it's cronut time. It's cronut time, and we're going to go get us a cronut. And by us, I mean me, because you don't eat that yet. But it is, it's like, it's a joy, and I just, I want you to experience the joy of cronut. So do yourself a favour, you know, after, you know, tomorrow or something, you know, and get yourself a cronut because I'm, I can't explain to you. I can't explain to you how good they are. Like, it's just, you've got to try it yourself. Mm. Mm. Vanilla slice flavor. Oh, so good. You know, the funny thing. Mm, so good. So good. The funny thing about cronuts is that, sorry, I just got a juice bowl. Okay. The, the thing about this is that I can stand up here with a microphone and describe to you how good cronuts are. I can be like, man, there's all these different recipes. I can give you the recipe and I can be, well, no, I would never try and make them myself because I'd end up in hospital. We know it. That's what happened last time I tried to make donuts. I've got scars from it. But you know, I can tell you about all the different flavours. I can give you money 
and I can send you to Park Street Pastor and be like, go get yourself a cronut. But until you actually experience it yourself, you are never going to experience the benefits and joy that cronut will bring to your life. Right? I can't just tell you about it. I can't just tell you about cronuts. That's not going to help you. You need to go get it yourself. Is that okay? Turn to your neighbor and say, go get it. Go get yourself a cronut. They should be paying me in those places, seriously. But here's the thing. Interestingly, we do this on a weekly basis with God's word. Here's my, here's my real point here. Right? We come in here every Sunday and we hear the preaching of the word. And we're like, we hear all these amazing preachers like unpacking the scriptures for us and showing us God's word. And we're like, oh, Neville, is, he's like really good at Bible study. He's like, he's so amazingly you know, great at theology and doctrine and like he's so, that was a good word now, it's a good word, right? And we do this every Sunday and then Donnie will get up and we'll be like, he just touched my heart. Donnie is just so, he's so, he's just such a good word, such a good word tonight. And then Paul will get up and we'll be like, he's such a good looking preacher. Like Nikki is so lucky, he preaches so handsomely and you know, he does, and we do this every week. But the thing is, and we let them take us on a journey through the scriptures and, you know, provide the word of God on a silver platter and spoon feed it to us. But this is where I really want to sit tonight. Until we take it home and open our own Bibles and and get intentional about developing the word of God in our lives, we will never experience the benefits from it. The reward of restoration in our lives, in our hearts, comes in the secret place behind closed doors. What did Jesus say when he told us to pray and give? He said, you know, he said, go behind closed doors for there your father will reward you. I truly believe that the reward of restoration is not only, but it begins, and there's an element that begins in the private time with you and Jesus seeking him in his word. When we, get, when we read our Bibles, when we feast on the word of God, when we feed on the word of God. Is that all right? I truly believe God wants to teach us to feed ourselves on his word. I really think he wants to teach us to feed ourselves on him on him. Jesus said in John 6 verse 57, he said, he who feeds on he feeds on me will live because of me. And he wants to teach us to feed on him. You know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to teach Eden um, to get her own crackers at the moment. Um, she's got this toy where, another picture, he's got a, she's got this toy, it's like a little table and she's got a seat that she sits in and it's connected to the table and it's on wheels so she can like, you know, roll, you know, go around it and she doesn't actually go anywhere and she doesn't notice because she's still moving and it's really good for me but what I do is I get a cracker these little crackers and I put it on this like on the opposite side of the toy like strategically you know and she watches me do it, and then she's like and she you know, and she rolls around and then she grabs it and eats it herself and it's not that necessary at this point in her life that she you know feeds, feeds herself like I'm still spoon feeding her but it is something that I want to be intentional about developing in her life is to teach her to feed herself. I just think by the time she's 18, it's going to be really weird if she does not know how to feed herself. We're going to be that family. People are going to look at us and be like, oh, she's the mum who still spoon feeds her kid. And that's going to be really weird. So I think that we can apply this spiritually that us as God's children must learn as we grow in maturity to feed ourselves. I think this is something he wants to empower us to do. It's something he wants for our life. He would place it strategically before us and he'd be like, go get it. Go get it. It's there for you. Feed yourself. Be empowered. Be empowered. So 
John 6:57 Whoever feeds on me will live because of me. This is what Jesus says. Right? And um about 15 verses or so before, he says this, if you've got your Bibles, John 6, verses 31 to 35, all right? He paints a picture of what it looks like to feed on him, okay? So the people say to him, they're like, our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread of heaven that comes down and gives life to this world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Always give us this bread. Jesus declared, I am the bread. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So what is he saying here? What Jesus is saying here is that you have a spiritual hunger built inside of you. You're fashioned with this. And I am the only one who can satisfy that hunger in you. This is what he's saying. You have a hunger, a spiritual hunger built inside of you, and I'm going to meet that need. I am the only one who can meet that need, okay? And and he's painting a very clear picture for us believers for how we're going to get through this life, how, we get, how we're going to get from when we first got saved to heaven, this life on planet earth, how we're going to be sustained, how we're going to be energized spiritually, how we're going to be nourished spiritually. He's saying, I am your solution. I am your answer. And he's referring to the, the whole situation, Israelites with the manna in the wilderness. You know, you all know that story? You all know that story. Everyone knows that story. So, you know, God saves them from the captivity and slavery in Egypt, remember that, and, you know, and, and he's leading them towards the promised land, he's leading them, but there's this big fat space in between for like 40 years, and they're just wandering around in the desert on their way to the promised land, but, you know, they get really hungry, and they get, they start whinging, and they start complaining, and they have a hissy fan, they're like, God, thank you, Thanks for saving us, but we're starving. We're so hungry. And if you don't feed us something, we're going to get discouraged and tired and weak. And those flesh pots back in Egypt are smelling really good right now. And we're going to turn this car around. If I don't get some bread, I'm going to scream. Okay, they start whinging. And, and, and God, in his mercy and grace, he, he actually responds to the whinging, which is interesting. And what he does is he, uh, he pours out, he rains down bread from heaven, remember that the the manna, he rains down bread from heaven, and and Jesus is in John six is picking this up in the New Testament, and he's painting a picture for our lives. He's 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 like this is your journey, right? This is your picture. You you got saved out of your Egypt, out of your slavery and your sin, and I'm leading you towards your promised land that's called heaven. But there's this big fat space in between called our life on planet Earth. And you're going to need something to sustain you and nourish you and cause you to grow and causing, cause you to flourish and cause you to move forward on this journey. Otherwise, you're going to get discouraged and weary and give up. And then he's saying, hello, I am all you need. I am the one. And it's funny, he's saying this. He's like, I am the man. And they're like, oh, what is this magical bread? Give us this bread, Jesus. Is, is it a cronut? And he's like, no, it's, it's me. It's me. And so... I, I, I just, this is where I really want to go tonight. I, I believe that this picture that is painted with the Israelites and the manna, it's, we can take that and we can, we can spiritually apply it. He's actually given us a way we can go about our, our devotional lives that is seeking him, just me and him, you and him. We can, we, he paints a picture of how we can do that, okay? So 
So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to look at uh, Exodus 16 verse 4, right? Get familiar with it. Get familiar with it. All right. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. Can you imagine if you rained down cronuts? That, that was such a tangent. I didn't mean to say that. but The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. Go a few verses down. Verse 15, when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Okay, so the first thing about manna is that it literally means what is it? Okay, so when it was first presented to the Israelites, they actually had no idea what it was. It was completely unfamiliar to them. You know, just they had no idea. Um, and it's okay. So if you're, if you're like, I, do not, I don't know anything to do with my Bible. I don't know how to read it. I can't get my head around it. I, I have no idea how to read the Word of God. I can't comprehend it. I don't understand it. It's completely unfamiliar to me. That's okay. You're in good company because the children of Israel, like God gives them the manna and they're just like, what is it? I don't. You know, he rains down this miraculous, amazing provision, supernatural provision of grace from heaven. It's just this beautiful thing. And they, they're just like, what? I'm sorry, I don't even know what that is. It looks like dandruff. It's like flaky white stuff that's covering the ground. I don't even know. I'm sorry. So they're not that impressed initially. But here's, here's the point that I want to make is that as they got familiar with it, as they dealt with it on a daily basis, they, they got to know it. And, and as they got to know it, they learned how to use it and grind it up and, and cook it into loaves and give it the flavor of olive oil, right? So as they, the word of God is initially incomprehensible to natural men. It's, it's completely incomprehensible to natural men. But when we get saved, we get the Holy Spirit, who is the great illuminator. And what the Holy Spirit does is he works with the word and in the word to breathe revelation into us. Amen? 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is God breathed. And so he breathes he breathes revelation into us. And so if we're, if we're not familiar with the Word of God, we're to get familiar with the Word of God. Amen? It might seem incomprehensible, but you have the Holy Spirit, the person and Spirit of Jesus Christ living in you to illuminate the Word of God to you. It's very encouraging because you don't have to be a Bible scholar to do that. Is that okay? Yeah. That's good. That's, that's encouraging. Never let the Word of God be unfamiliar to you. Never let it be an unfamiliar entity in your life. Never, never let it be something that someone with a preacher and a microphone has to unpack for you and that's the only way that you can comprehend it and understand it because I truly believe God wants you to be familiar with His Word. He wants you to be empowered to go get it yourself. You know, the Israelites, they had to go get it themselves. They had to go get manna themselves. It's interesting. He, he, he didn't get Moses, old mate Moses, to go and gather up all the manner and, and dishing out to all the Israelites. It's very interesting. He, he didn't get Moses to be a mediator or anything in that way, but he empowered the Israelites to go out to gather it for themselves. They had to get it themselves. Moses didn't spoon feed it to them. They, they, they had to go get it. Go get it. Go get it ourselves. All right, and this is great because... I love that God worked it all out, that um, it had to be gathered daily. It had to be gathered daily. Do you know what happened if they, they tried to keep it? Yeah. 
let's read about it. So Exodus uh, 16.4, you know, we did just read that, but, uh, you know, I'll read it again. I'll rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. Okay, gather enough just for that day. Not a few days, not a week, not a month, just for that day. And then down in verse 20, it's like, however, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They're like, I got, I got this. And, and so they kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. That is great. I actually think God has a sense of humor. It's, it's so fun. It's like they tried, they attempted. They're like, no, I know a little bit more than Moses. I'm just, you know, they come up with their little formulas. Two things. I, I think they were either being lazy because they couldn't be bothered going out and getting it every day. It's like, man, every single day. I'm just, I'll just gather up lots and then, you know, I won't have to go out tomorrow. It's being time efficient. And that's the other thing. They were trying to be time efficient. They were too busy or whatever. They had animals to sacrifice and, you know, incense to burn. And they're like, well, maybe if I just gather like five days worth, that's good. Like, and then, then I won't have to go out tomorrow and the next day and I can slaughter all these animals. So that's, that's just the Nikki paraphrase. That's what, that's what I think. But I love that God just prevented that from happening. He was like, no, 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 you, you don't get to decide how this works. You don't get to decide how to restore yourself, how to sustain yourself, how to nourish yourself. I decide because I know that you need me every day. You need my provision every day. I said this is daily bread. I didn't say that it was every few days bread. I said it's daily bread and you don't get to change the rules. But you can try, but it's going to go maggoty. Oh, it's disgusting. But um, laziness and busyness, your two greatest enemies for your devotional life. This is just speaking from personal experience. Laziness and busyness are our two greatest enemies. Amen? Amen. I'm, I'm the queen of trying to be, like, time efficient when it comes to my devotional life. Like, we come up with these little formulas and we're like, well, I don't have time today, so... Uh, I'll do like a four-hour Bible study next Sunday and that is going to get me through for a couple of days and it's just going to work and it doesn't work. So where, do we get, where, do we, where do we get these formulas? Like who told us that that was going to work? Because it doesn't work. The Word of God, it's supposed to be a daily thing because God knows we need him on a daily basis. It's so funny. And I do this because what happens when we, go, when we have to go back day after day after day, it illustrates our obedience to him. It illustrates our, our dependence on him and it illustrates our passion for hearing his direction and his voice in our life. Amen? Amen. So good. How are we going for time? Does anyone know how much I have left? How much time do I have left? 6.20. That's, that's great. Okay. Um, okay. So there was one thing you had to do before you ate your manna, right? And I just want to really quickly touch on this before I move on because I, I really think, like, for me, this, this changed my whole devotional life. This is what's going to make or break your devotional life and the way you see the word and the way you see God is because before they got to eat the manna, they had to stoop. They had to, they had to get down, you know, and, and gather it all up, Okay. And I love that. I love that. It's like God rains down something from above, but he, he makes it land on the ground. It's not like they stand there and it just, this bread falls on their face. It's like he made it land on the ground, okay, at, at dawn. And, and he gave them something from above, this provision straight from heaven, but they had to bow to their knees to receive it. Interesting, isn't it? They had to bow to their knees to receive it. I'm just... I'm just reading this in Exodus and I just, I just can picture God watching the children of Israel down on their knees like, oh, God, yeah, 
smell of dandruff. And, you know, he's watching them and he's like, one day, one day, in a new day, in a new time, in a new covenant, they're, gonna, they're not going to be forced to go to their knees to receive from me. They're not going to be forced because, you know, they're physically going to die if they don't eat the dandruff. You know what I mean? It's, they're going to they're gonna choose one day in a new covenant, in a new promise, that I'm going to pour my spirit into my kids and they're going to choose to stoop to their knees. They're going to choose to go to their knees to receive from me. And it's called humility. When we come to the scriptures, we must humble ourselves. You know when Jesus, in, in Matthew chapter... 13, he tells the, the parable of the sower, the, the, the parable of the seed, sorry, and it's the farmer who scatters the seed, and the seed represents the word of God, and it talks about it falling on the good ground and the bad ground, and la, la, la. And the good ground, he said, is he who comes to the word with a good and honest heart. And what's he saying there? He's saying, come to the word with a humble heart. Come to the word with a heart that's ready to receive, not for someone else, but for you. Don't read the Bible for somebody else. Don't read the Bible like, oh, yes, this, this, oh, this is such a good word for somebody else. This is such a good word for my sister. Don't listen to the preaching in church and go, you know, I hope, I hope, I hope she's listening to that. You know what I mean? It's, it's for you. It's for you. fastest way to die spiritually is to look at the scripture not wanting to receive for yourself, for yourself. Don't try and get a sermon out of it. Don't try and, you know, get a word for someone else. Just come receiving for yourself because that is going to be the most powerful thing in your life. Is that all right? Come to receive for you. And if you get that part right, this is, this is a great order. This is a great picture because if you get that part right, if you get the humility part right, then the next part is really easy to catch. You know what the next part is? Chewing. Chewing, chewing it. How many times did your mum tell you to chew your food? She is wise. She had a reason. She had a reason for saying that. Scripture must be intrude and not intrude. Sorry. Scripture must be chewed and not inhaled. <laughs> right? Psalm 1 in the message translation, verse, verse 2, says, Instead, you thrill to God's word, chewing scripture day and night. Manna was bread. It had to be chewed. All food has to be chewed. Okay, it's just part. It aids in the digestion process. And digestion, what is that? It's making something become a part of your body, breaking it down. It becomes a part of your body. Okay, so all food has to be chewed. You know, cows do it. I love that you preached on cows this morning. You know, cows do it the best. They, they sit there. They chew on the same thing all day, just grass, and they sit there and they chew and they swallow and they vomit it back up and then they chew and they swallow and they vomit it back up and then they chew and they swallow and they vomit it back up and they just keep doing this all day. And it's great. It's like way to make your meal last so much longer. This was my pregnancy journey. This is my pregnancy journey because I vomited that much. It just be, it's like, what's the point of losing all my meals? I'm just going to chew, swallow, vomit it back up. Chew, swallow, vomit it back up. Chew, swallow, vomit it back up. And that was my life for 10 months. 10 months because she was overdue. And... You know, like, I got flavours out of food the second and third, fourth time round, but that you would never even understand. Like, you, you don't know, asparagus just tastes different the fourth time round. Do you know what I mean? But my point is, <laughs> I'm so sorry. My point is that in order to ingest the word, <laughs> and <laughs> am I going to get in trouble? Ingest the word and benefit from its nourishment is that you actually have to chew it, as in you actually have to think about it and contemplate and abide and ask God and say, how is this going to apply to my life? What do you mean by this? I want to understand this. Bring me revelation, God. We have to get quiet in our soul and listen hard in our spirit. We have to think about, we have to think about and contemplate the scripture. 
Amen. There's, n- there's absolutely no point, no point in inhaling scripture. No point because we know what happens when we just in- eat really fast. What happens? You, you vomit it back out. Just came straight. Uh, Eden does it all the time. She's got my DNA. She inhales her food. She inhales a meal. Just projectile vomit. So think about it. Think about the scripture and ask God how it can apply to your own life because you need to use it because he who does not use it will lose it. She who does not use it will lose it. Amen. This is the last point on manna that I want to talk about tonight. What was gathered had to be used. Uh, Exodus 16 verse 19. Moses said to them, none of you is to keep it until morning. And we know what happened when they tried to keep it. It got naggedy. In other words, Moses is like, with, with the manna, use it or lose it. That's the deal. You've got to use it or lose it. In that, that parable of the seed in Matthew chapter 13, you know, the one that I just explained, it's in, Jesus ends it in an interesting, in an interesting way. In verse... Uh, Verse 11, he says, Take heed how you hear. Those who have will get more, and he who doesn't have, even more will be taken. What's he saying here? He's saying, Take heed how you hear. In other words, you can hear in different ways. You can inhale or you can chew. Two different ways you can hear. You can inhale or you can chew. So just be careful. Be careful how you hear the word of God. And then he says, He who has. We'll get more, and he who doesn't have even more will be taken. It's like, that doesn't sound like Jesus is going to jack from the poor and give to the rich. That's completely contradictory of everything I've ever read about Jesus. But no, he's, he's not saying that. The context here is the word of God and how we hear it, how we listen to it. And he's saying, if you take the word and you put it into action, you will get more. Okay? And he's saying, even, even, those, even those who you think you do have it, It'll get taken away. Who is he talking to? And he's like, even what you do have, you, it'll be taken away. I, he's talking to people who inhale the word and vomit it back out. Religious folk. People who, who take the, read the word of God, proclaim the word of God, but it never actually translates into their own personal life. People who, who read their Bible every day, and I'm, I've been totally guilty of this. We read the Bible and we, we can proclaim it and we can spout scriptures off the top of our tongue, but, but it does, we don't move in obedience to it. We don't actually let it translate and get intentional about developing it in our own lives. It's like we're reading the Bible always for someone else. Or, you know, it's, it's, we're never actually moving personally and vulnerably in, in response to it, in obedience. And that's called religion, and it just ends up in vomit. Like, we, we have to chew the word, we have to apply it, we have to make it our own. Jesus says to those who read the word of God, but they don't actually do what it says, even what you think you have will be taken away. Because when you put it into action, that's when it becomes alive in you. That's when the word becomes flesh. Amen. But to those who obey it, Jesus says, they will get more. What does he mean? He says, you will get more. You will just get more. You will just get more. You know that scripture, Isaiah 58, I love it because, because it's on true fasting. You know the scripture, it's on true fasting. And it's like talking about like, I, don't, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I don't need all your rituals and your regulations and all your religious thing. I want you to free the, 
the chains of the oppressed. I want you to help out the poor. I want you to feed the hungry. Then you do this. This is what my word says. Then your healing will quickly appear. You do this. Then you, my joy will be your strength. Then I, my protection will go with you like a rear guard. Then you will be like a well-watered garden whose springs never fail. Then my joy will be your strength. And he makes all these promises, promises. But but I truly believe there's there's a direct correlation in the Bible between between obedience to God's word and restoration. He says, then you do this, you do this. You set my people free. You feed the hungry. You go out there and you, you get passionate about restoring other people's lives. You know what will happen? You will be a well-watered garden whose springs never fail. Then you will be called rebuilders. Then you will be called rebuilders of broken walls. Then you will be called restorers of broken homes. It's a promise. There's a promise for our lives. We get more in obedience to the Word of God. And this is where I want to finish tonight. Maybe I'll get the musicians to hop up. I think I'm, yeah, I'll get the musicians to hop up. I think I'm doing okay with time. And uh, I want to finish here tonight because I, I truly believe, I, I know that there's people in here tonight who need restoration in their lives, you know, in, in parts of your lives. I know there's people who need restoration. There's ruins in your life that need to be restored. It might not be your entire life. It might just be part of your life. That, that, you know, Denise shared a very good prophetic word a couple of weeks ago and, he said, and when she was leading worship and she said, you know, there's parts of your lives that, that may be dry and, and, and those leaves, are just, they're not going to wither, but they're going to be green and they're going to flourish. And I feel like there's some of us in here who have parts of our lives that need to be restored. We've got ruins. We've got our own personal ruins and we seek and we need restoration. You might, you might feel discouraged and disconnected from God. You might, not, you might be like, I lack passion with my devotional life and I need help. Or you, 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 need, you need Him to come and just strengthen your frame, strengthen you. You need more joy. You need more peace. You need more strength. I don't know. I don't know. But I want to read you a real, just two, two more verses, two verses out of the Bible that changed my life really quickly. Matthew 9, Matthew chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. It says, when Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and he saw the noisy crowd and the people playing bagpipes, he said, go away. The girl is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and he took the girl by the hand and she got up. She got up. News of this spread throughout that whole region. You know, I want you to picture that girl for a second, that, that dead body for a second. It's a dead girl. Everything in appearance, everything that the circumstances were preaching loud and clear, she was dead. She is in complete ruins. As a human body, she is in ruins. She's gone. You know, they've started the funeral. Like the bagpipes are cranking, the funeral party has started, it's, she's gone, she's done and dusted and it would be ridiculous, laughably, impossibly ridiculous to try and come in and say otherwise. But the Son of God has the nerve, He has the audacity to come in to this funeral and look at what is dead and look at what is in ruins and you know what He says? He says, oh don't worry about it, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. 
And of course they laughed. But you know what? God is the only one who can look at something that is dead and say, it's just sleeping. It's don't worry, it's not dead, it's just sleeping. Because if something is dead, it's not coming back. But if something's just sleeping, it can be woken up. And so what Jesus begins to do is he begins to prophesy life over her despite the circumstances and the reasoning and the logic of people saying, you know, she's dead, she got sick and she died, just get over it, we've got the bagpipes playing. He's like, no, Jesus comes in and he's like, she's just asleep. And listen to what he does next. This is what he does next. It's very, very important. He gets rid of the crowd. He takes her away from the crowd, the noise, the people, the chatter, the logic and the well-meaning reasoning of the people and the bagpipes because no one likes bagpipes anyway. They're like the worst instrument ever. I'm sorry if you're Irish. But he takes them away, takes her away and gets her by herself in a quiet place, in the secret place where there's no people, there's no music. It's just her and him. Well, what does he do? He takes her hand. He takes her hand, a picture of utmost intimacy between creation and creator, and he restores her to life. He brings her back to life. Just a touch of the bread of life is all we need to be sustained and restored and nourished. It's just one touch of Jesus when we get into the secret place, when we get by ourselves with God. That's all we need. It's all we need. And you know, he takes her hand and he says, I am the bread of life. Do you not know who I am? (laughs) Do you not know who I am? I'm the bread of life. I am the one who can wake the dead. I am the one who can nourish you and sustain you and restore your ruins. You know, he just comes into our life just rudely interrupted, rudely interrupted. And and just the audacity that he has, he he intrusively comes in to our lives and he initiates restoration because that is the God that we serve. You know, and we don't do anything to initiate this. It's like Nev was preaching on this morning. What do we do? We can't initiate restoration any more than a corpse can bring itself back to life. But Jesus, he comes into our lives and he begins to restore. He begins to restore. And you know, this is the picture that manna was. You know, manna was such a picture of grace in the context of these people, the children of Israel in a complex, complicated covenant with rules and regulations that they had to obey in order to receive the blessings of God. In the context of this covenant, they they just received and they didn't have to struggle or strive or do anything to receive it. They just had to get up out of their tent and go get it. They just had to go and leave what was comfortable and convenient, get out of bed and go and seek the manna. You know, Hebrews 4 verse 16 says, you can come boldly into the throne room of grace and you can receive what you need. You can receive grace and help in a time of need. Jeremiah 29 12 says, if you seek me, you will find me and I will be found by you. Seeking the Lord Jesus is an active word, but it is full of grace. It is initiated by grace. It is a picture of grace. The Israelites didn't have to travel. They didn't have to go anywhere. They didn't have to slaughter any animals. They didn't have to build a ladder to heaven. It was just there. The manna descended, the Bible says, right into their camp. They just had to go and get it. If you're seeking restoration in your life, you can just go and get it. Seek the Lord Jesus in your devotional life, just you and Him. Carve out time because you will give time to that which you value. If you you have too much stuff in your life, just make the time because He wants to restore our ruins. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand? 
Why don't you stand and why don't you, you know, give us a little bit more company up the front here as we sing this song. But I just want to read one more verse to you tonight. One more verse, Isaiah 55, verses 2 and 3. And it says, Why spend money on what is not bread and your labour on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good. You will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear, come to me. Listen that you may, what's that? That you may live, that you may live. Why do we spend so much time on stuff and people and things and events that does not satisfy? Why do we try and restore ourselves? We try and restore our own ruins. We try, we're like a corpse trying to bring ourselves back to life. Jesus is the only one who can bring restoration into our lives. He's the only one who can wake us from the sleep. He's the only one who can restore the ruins. Amen. He alone will satisfy. He alone will bring life. He alone will nourish and sustain you and give you what you need to flourish in this life. And you know, tonight, I just as we finish up and as we sing this song, I just really feel, I feel like the Holy Spirit is here. And I feel like there are people who need their ruins restored. And I just want to I just want to invite you to come forward tonight because you need to stoop in humility. And sometimes you need to do something physical to receive from the Lord. And it's so there. It's so there. He's so gracious. And I just believe He wants to nourish people. He wants to sustain people. He wants to strengthen our frames. He wants joy to well up in our spirits. He wants peace. He wants joy. He wants His presence to be great and manifested in our life. And I just feel like if we come forward and receive prayer tonight, He will, he will give us what we need. As we come forward, it's not about this area here. It's just a physical thing that we do. Like when we raise our hands in church, it's just representing something spiritually. So tonight, if you need that, if you need a touch of Jesus, if you need a touch of His Spirit, you need a touch of the bread of life and you need to be nourished or strengthened. I just encourage you to come forward for prayer and as we sing and worship this song, I'm just going to pray, Father, Father, we thank you so much, Lord. We thank you that you have, you have rained down your manna already. You have come, you've provided your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we want to feed on him because we want to live. And we want to live for you. We want to pour out our lives as a sacrifice for you. We want to go out there. We want to bring restoration to broken walls and broken homes. And we want our own hearts to be restored, Lord Jesus. So we thank you for that, God. Would you pour out your spirit?